0: I turned to crystal meth (laughs) in my 40s, a little bit of a late bloomer. And um, I had this sort of superiority complex, but at least I I wasn't an alcoholic. And for a while I was a functioning addict. I was actually an addictions counselor. So I thought I was immune to addiction and uh, I really came to learn that addiction doesn't discriminate at all. Um, And I was, I started, I was in a really toxic abusive relationship My eating was out of control. I was gaining weight. I had a girlfriend that said, oh, you know, try crystal meth and you'll you'll lose weight and you'll feel great and (laughs) you'll have all this energy. And I I truly did lose a lot of weight rapidly, but I certainly didn't feel great. And it it was really just a matter of months that I lost my career. I lost my home. I lost my daughter. I, I lost my mind, my dignity, everything and I found myself homeless and living on the street.
1: This is the Nowhere to Go But Up podcast. I'm your host, Sean Dustin. If this is your first time stopping by, hey, what's up? Welcome. This is a podcast about bottoms and life struggles and how my guests get through them. And in between that is a little bit of variety, mostly things that interest me. And if you're returning, thank you. Welcome back. Glad you're uh, deciding to spend your time with me. Not a whole lot to update. This one, I've been pushing episodes You know, in the last two weeks. This is probably the fourth one. This is episode 19. I've got seven more to go. Let's see if I can get to at least four or five more of those before the end of the month. If I stay laid off, then uh, it's a good chance that I might be doing that, because this is giving me something to do and staying out of trouble. Uh, This episode, we have Satya. She is from British Columbia, Canada. She's a recovering addict. Her drug of choice was methamphetamine, which uh, was also mine. Satya is a a holistic recovery coach and a harm reduction advocate. She's also the founder of the North Star Recovery Group on Facebook. And all her places, as usual, will be in the show notes. And like I said in the uh, last episode... Briefing for this guest, which is Satya. The before and after picture is really what got me to want to connect with her. You'll see that in the show notes as well, and you'll probably see that in the uh, the thumbnail. So instead of my, uh, because I already have, I've been making up. I could have been doing this the whole time, uh, but I didn't understand how my podcast host worked. And as I've been messing around with things, I'm I'm seeing the potential of what i could be doing and i could have been doing it the whole time but i just didn't know cuz i've been building up like if you follow me on uh, instagram you'll see my my promo clips and i have to build those the artwork on there and so i could have actually been inserting those into thumbnails per episode the whole time i just didn't realize it until just uh, recently so this will be the first episode that i i try and do that so Hopefully it will uh, help, you know, boost my listenership. And as always, if, you know, you're getting something out of this, do me a favor, refer a friend, uh, let somebody know about it. It's how we kind of build these things. I mean, I, I promote on social media, but word of mouth actually is the best promotion that you can get because if you tell somebody about it, they're more than likely going to go and and check it out themselves. And, you know, that's just kind of how you build communities. Also rate review if you want on iTunes, Uh, that's where I check most of the stuff. I'm sure you can rate and review on any of the podcast platforms that you're on, but iTunes is the one that I usually check out. And the only other thing that I have is the jujitsu deal still going, man. I I posted something on Instagram, uh, last night it was, uh, one hour. I was exhausted and you could see it in the picture. I took a picture of myself. I was literally exhausted, drenched with sweat. One of the main reasons why I decided I wanted to to try jujitsu is, you know, one, Rogan, I listen to him. He's always talking about it. Another reason, too, is is that my, my mind never shuts up. It's constantly going, there's just chatter all the time in there. I needed something that was going to um, tire me out to the point where it just shuts that up. And this is this did it. I was too exhausted to think about anything other than I just want to go home. I want to grab something to eat and I want to jump in bed, lay down, and go to sleep. So, mission accomplished. Anyways, that's about all I have. Let's get to Satya. Hi, Satya.
0: How
1: are you? Good. How are you,
0: Sean?
1: Good, good. Thank you. Whereabouts are you looking? Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Whereabouts are you located?
0: Um, I'm located in northern BC, in Canada.
1: Ah, Canada. Beautiful country up there.
0: Yeah, it's where the wild things live.
1: <laughs> <laughs> great, great. So why don't you uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners and uh, give a brief introduction, um, who you are, what uh, what you do, and how you came upon wanting to do a interview on my podcast.
0: Okay. Um, well, my my name is Fatya. I'm a drug addict. Um, I've just passed the three and a half year clean marks, claiming victory every day, day by day. What I do now is I'm a holistic recovery coach and a women's empowerment coach. So I help people that are recovering from addiction and trauma, grief and loss. The techniques and the practices I use to, to help people recover are the same things that, that helped me um, to recover from my addiction. I found in my recovery journey that it wasn't just uh, one size fits all when it comes to recovery because every person is so individual and unique, even though we might have all the same behaviors, uh, the reasons that we that we come to addiction in our lives are unique and the way that we recover is unique. So I was really happy to find what worked for me and I'm just honored to be able to help people on on their recovery journeys as well. And I came to your podcast because I made friends with you in a recovery group when I was uh, sharing the story of of my recovery. So I'm really happy to be here and I really love uh, the way that you're giving back to, to the the people that are in recovery. So thank you for your service.
1: You're welcome. And thank you as well. Uh, It's an important Mm -hmm. journey that we're both on. And it's definitely a needed thing out there in the world today. There's a lot of a lot of dysfunction, a lot of just a lot of chaos out there. And Mm -hmm. and just a lot of people struggling and not knowing how to uh, get help, not know where to look for help. And it's, and stigma too, you know, and I think we're, we're getting past a lot of that. Um, The more these podcasts come out, different uh, platforms, the groups, everything that's coming together in society right now with social media and, and just, you know, getting away from mainstream media altogether, you know, we're, we're Mm -hmm. able to shed a lot more light on some of these subjects and some of these issues and able to make a bigger difference.
0: Mm-hmm. And I and I really feel such a sense of urgency for people in recovery to give back to to those still suffering, especially now um, with the opioid crisis. And so, so many of our people are dying and it, it's just an absolute tragedy what's happening out there. And, you know, so many people don't get a second chance. So I just think, you know, now more than ever that we need more and more recovery warriors, you know, offering a hand and, and helping people to come to the light. So...
1: Well, that's great. So, um, why don't you, uh, tell us a little bit about your story and you know what it was like for you, what happened and what brought you to where you are now?
0: Um, okay. I, I, I always kind of laugh to myself when, when people ask me how long I was an addict because I really can trace the roots of addiction right back to my early childhood. You know, I started uh, really just trying to numb out the painful experience of of my childhood through things like um, eating disorders and self-harming. And then as I grew into a teenager, it was toxic relationships. And, and there was always something. I always found something to to numb out the fear and the pain that I was feeling. And, um, and so I didn't actually start drugs. I was raised in an alcoholic, very violent alcoholic um, home as a child. So I was adamant that I would never drink. But I turned to crystal meth (laughs) in my 40s, a little bit of a late bloomer. And um, I had this sort of superiority complex But at least I I wasn't an alcoholic. And for a while I was a functioning addict. I was actually an addictions counselor. So I thought I was immune to addiction and uh, I really came to learn that addiction doesn't discriminate at all. Um, And I was, I started, I was in a really toxic abusive relationship my eating was out of control i was gaining weight i had a girlfriend that said oh you know try crystal meth and you'll you'll lose weight and you'll feel great and <laughs> you'll have all this energy and i i truly did lose a lot of weight rapidly but i certainly didn't feel great and it and it was really just a matter of months that i lost my career i lost my home i lost my daughter i i lost my mind my dignity everything and I found myself homeless and living on the street. And so rock bottom came really quickly and, and really hard for me. And and it's not like camping <laughs> out there. I don't know. I had this idea that I could just, uh, you know, it wasn't a big deal as long as I could stay high, that it wasn't that big of a deal. It was the, you know, the demon of denial that kept telling me it's not that bad. In the beginning, I was allowed to still visit with my daughter. She was placed into care. But then after a while, I was so crazy, so deeply in psychosis, and my appearance was so shocking. I was just a skinny little thing covered in sores. So I wasn't allowed to see her anymore because it was just too terrifying for her to see me in that state. But I could still talk to her on the phone. And I was talking to her one night and I was telling her the same thing, you know, I always told her, I'm going to get help, I'm going to get my act together, I'm going to get us a house, I'm going to get you back. And that particular night, she said, you know what, mom, I've already accepted, you're not coming back to me, it's okay. And that really, for me, was the turning point, that was the rock bottom of my rock bottom, because it actually sparked in me this uh, this uh sort of flame that, you know what, I am not going to let her accept that, and that is not what my daughter is going to be left you know with is this acceptance that I'm never coming back to her so that really um after that I started going to NA meetings and I was I was really so messed up and still using and I'm I'm so grateful for the people in the rooms that still welcomed me in even though I couldn't share I couldn't talk I couldn't even sit in the circle I could just sit on the floor outside the circle holding onto my bicycle and and watching the door because I was just so paranoid but that's where the seeds were planted um, when people started to show that they they actually cared you know and kept telling me keep coming back and and that was an amazing thing because it was so shocking for me to be on the street and to you know go into a hotel lobby or something to use the bathroom where I had stayed as a guest before and to be kicked out <laughs> it was just it was so devastating for me to be treated like like street people are are treated. And um, that really helped me to to want to heal and to want to do better because I was also so moved by the injustice of how, how people are treated. It just gave me a real insight into, I guess I had always thought that people could just get their act together. And it was sort of a, it was a moral failing and it was, they didn't have enough willpower to, you know, go get a job and stop doing drugs until I was in that position. And I realized it takes a lot more than a job and a lot more than willpower to, to be able to pull yourself out of that hell and that you can't do it alone. I am so grateful that I, I had those experiences and, and to be able to really understand addiction from the other side and not not just sort of in my holier-than-thou uh, position. So God really did have a plan for me to lead me to that understanding. So I started going to NA. Get back to my story. I started uh, looking for a treatment center that would take me, and that was another shocking experience because I just had this idea when I finally asked for help that help would be available to me I didn't realize what a dire shortage of treatment facilities there actually are in in all of North America. I'm in Canada, but there's a very dire shortage of treatment facilities and mental health facilities. So I just kept phoning places and, and begging for a bed. And three times I was actually given a bed and I would get into the centers and then I would run away again. So I just kept having to try and try and try. I think it was it was on my third time I finally found a center that took me that it wasn't residential. I could just it was kind of like school. I could just go every day and then go to a a safe house in the night. And for me that worked because I didn't feel like I was being confined. I don't I don't know, but that was really important to me that I could uh participate at my my own free will. So that really helped me. And during that time, I was also introduced to uh, kundalini yoga and meditation. And I really found my uh, center and my safety and was able to really deal with the root of my problem because I found when I stopped doing the drugs, I realized that my problem actually wasn't the drugs. My my problem came before the drugs. So and it was my my trauma that was unresolved and the drugs were just a way for me to cover up that pain without having to to resolve it or to heal it so doing yoga and meditation really brought me back into my body and really helped me to start to resolve this trauma at the same time i was going to treatment and learning skills to to deal with the cravings and to and to be able to you know build a supportive community and and just find myself again. So I really just, I made my recovery my full-time job. And it took about seven months after I came out of treatment. And I tried so many kinds of therapy <laughs> after that. Horse therapy, art therapy, nature therapy, just everything I could, everything I could resource. I just, I just became like a sponge, just all these healing modalities. And um, after about seven months, I finally I got my daughter back, and so that was that was a real victory because I remember so many times people telling me, you know, you're never gonna get better, you're not gonna get your daughter back, and that was really actually big fuel, you know, to help me to help me heal because I was always a little bit of a rebel that way. So if somebody told me I couldn't do something, <laughs> I would definitely do the opposite. Yeah, I got my daughter back, and then I started giving back and, and helping other other people who are still suffering in their addictions. And and today that's what keeps me strong in my recovery is being able to, to offer a hand to people in the street and say, hey, you're not too far gone. You can heal. You can recover. You're worth it. You're loved. That's really my message to people who are still struggling.
1: Wow, that's amazing. That's, a, that's an amazing. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing that you started so late You know, my, my drug of choice was, uh, was methamphetamine as well. Well, I mean, it, it was everything, but the one that, that kind of took me down was meth. It's a, it's a horrible, horrible drug and it It ruins lives. And it makes people think that, I don't know what it makes you think, but you know, there's no good idea that that happens when you haven't slept for three, (laughs)
0: three days. No, that's for sure. It, and it's so powerful. Hey, it's just, it's a really gripping. I don't even call it a drug. It's just pure poison. Yeah. My heart really goes out to people that, that are addicted to it and it's everywhere. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, I have a couple of questions that, that came from, mm-hmm. from your, what you were talking about. One of them is how long did it take from your slide to your bottom, like time-wise?
0: It was it was literally months from the first time I tried. I knew the very first time I smoked crystal meth, I was fucked (laughs) Fucked for my language. But I knew that very first time I was addicted. I knew that was it, and it was probably it was about three months until I was homeless and on the street it was fast
1: wow yeah. yeah that is fast
0: yeah i couldn't get enough of it you know i just uh i couldn't put my pipe down <laughs> it was really bad
1: yeah i i was i smoked as well and i i didn't i didn't like uh doing lines it hurt too much uh i yeah. was definitely not going to slam it because i was better than that i'm not Same. Yeah. you know what i mean well i don't i would never do that those people have real problems
0: those are junkies
1: <laughs> exactly you know, little, little did I yeah. know as I'm, as I'm, you know, hadn't slept for five days looking in the mirror, thinking that I'm, I'm sexy as hell, you know, all sucked up and hadn't showered in three days, hair greasy, you know, not even, uh, it's so, I, I, like, I have very clear pictures in my head of, you know, what I'm talking about. And I, it's like, it's so disgusting.
0: Yeah. And you know now I do some street out- outreach now, and and when I see people that are you know hallucinating and seeing these shadow people and, and stuff, I just empathize so much because those are those are real to them. You know, I- I've seen them too, and there's nothing more terrifying. It's just horrendous. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a, not not a good thing. Uh, you know the. No whoever whoever invented that stuff i don't know if it was uh the nazis uh for for war or i know that that some uh in the U- the us they use that too to keep the soldiers awake and and eating less as well so i mean it was
0: i think it was invented in the war to keep the soldiers awake i think it was world war 2 yeah
1: yeah bad stuff yeah So how long did it take for your, your, your brain to sort of, uh, you know, your brain, your chemistry, everything to sort of normalize after you, after you stopped using for me was about two years before I, I start feeling, I start. I started to feel normal again, where like my, like my, uh, my emotions weren't all out of whack and, you know, kind of like mm-hmm. crying for no reason at at different times and just watching certain things would spark certain emotions. It was just kind of all over the all over the the board there.
0: Mhm. Well, truthfully, I don't think I'll ever be normal. again. <laughs> no, but quite honestly, I did suffer some brain damage that I I don't know if it will ever resolve. I used to be able to speak a lot more clearly and eloquently, and now I stumble on words and I'll have sort of like little gaps when I'm talking. That's why I say um too much. That was never a problem for me before I did the drugs. So I do believe that there's you know long-lasting damage that that I'll probably always have to live with. And I know my paranoia and my my false ideas of, you know, these conspiracy theories I had that everyone was out to get me and following me and stuff. That took a good two years for it to to go away and the panic attack. And I really feel like I healed quickly too, even though it took a good two years to to start feeling normal. And I I really think the meditation and the yoga helped that a lot. But yeah, but in the the first year, I kept thinking like, what's the point of even quitting? Because I'm still... You know, I'm still crazy. (laughs) I still fly into rages like I felt like I had absolutely no control, like you're saying, over over my emotional state. And maybe it's because I was numb for so long, but I I really think that's something that's common um, for people that are recovering from math is, is having to struggle with that ability to regulate their emotions again and their you know, and keep their their thinking in reality. It's really uh, it's really a struggle. Yeah, and then the depression was horrible too, <laughs> right? Because your brain stops making the dopamine because it comes becomes so dependent on the crystal mass for that dopamine that physiologically your your body stops producing it. I forget, but I think it's within seventy two hours of quitting crystal mass, there's an enormous risk for suicide because those levels of dopamine drop so drastically that that people often um, do suicide when they're when they're first coming off of it. So yeah, I really encourage people if they are coming off of it to get as much support as they can and to really be in a safe safe space and be patient with themselves because it's a process. It, it doesn't happen overnight. That's for sure.
1: And so you've, you've been uh, clean now for three years, you said?
0: Three and a half, yeah, just past my
1: three and a half marks. Okay. Yeah, it, it does get better. I mean I, I for me it's yeah. been about nine years now. And oh wow, good for you. Yeah, so well and, and it's uh I don't I like I still sometimes I do the same thing. I don't I, I feel like my words come together a lot better. My my thoughts are, are very, you know, uh precise in my head, but coming out mm-hmm. sometimes it's you know, I I, I just like this, I, I, you know what I mean.
0: Good, yeah, yeah.
1: Great thing for editing, you know. I can get rid of all of that, but it mm. still happens when I'm when I'm in conversation sometimes.
0: And isn't that funny? Because when I when I was on the drug, I would talk like an auctioneer, like I could just, you know, blah, and never stumble over a word. But you know, it's,
1: it's oh, yeah, yeah. Just, just, <laughs> just some thoughts started coming back to me about times when I was uh, in in that in that cycle. So here, here's one thing that, that I had to stop doing in the beginning. I couldn't listen to music anymore because it would trigger, it would trigger thoughts and memories from, from my using times like, you know, when I would be driving my truck with the windows down and the wind blowing, you know, middle of the night, high yeah. as hell, it would just some songs would just trigger these memories. And they were just so powerful that that I just I had to stop listening to music altogether and just listen to uh
0: talk radio. Yeah, I was the same. I could only listen to, you know, mantras and you know, relaxation music for, for a good year. Any, anything else was just so triggering. And of course, I couldn't live in the same city where I used to live. I had to make all new friends and and that's a good thing. <laughs> but it was hard too. It was hard dealing with that, that loneliness and just, you know, starting right from scratch.
1: I think that's probably the toughest part because you said it was yoga for you that got you kind of into a new pattern. And, uh-huh. and, you know, the holistic stuff, it got you into a new pattern of thinking, a new pattern of acting, a new, uh, a new niche, if you want to call it that. And for myself, it was, it was, uh, adult slow pitch softball that, that put me into that different area where I'm not dealing with people that were, you know, using or yeah, I guess it's funny how 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 you like to be around those people because everybody's doing the same thing, nobody's really judging you for for, you know, yeah. being a fuck up basically.
0: Yeah, there's like no you don't have to live up to anybody's expectations.
1: <laughs> yeah, and for myself, I was always uh I always had a little bit more than everybody else. Like I I I maintained well, I still had a car. I still had all these things that most of them didn't. So I was like, oh, you, know, you
0: were everyone's best friend. <laughs> yeah, I was.
1: I was like the, the king of the tweakers.
0: Yes.
1: <laughs> if, if that sounds cool, probably not. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: That was another reason why I, I, I thought that I was better than everybody else. I I still have a car. I still have all this stuff. These people want to hang out with me. I'm the best. It's like, God, shut up, yeah. dude. Get over yourself.
0: Yeah. And it's really, it's a harsh reality when you reach that point in your addiction and you, you realize, you know, that, um, you're not cool.
1: <laughs> no, you're not cool. Not fun. <laughs> no, being yeah. alone is no fun. And everybody that you thought was going to be there once, you know, when I went to prison and it, nobody was there, mm-hmm. nobody, Yeah. just my family. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a, I have a question that is kind of a, a hot topic in recovery, and it's about relapse. And mm. whenever this gets thrown into a group, people discuss, go wild. Yeah, discussion, people do go wild. And I, <laughs> I can't, I, I don't understand it because it is very true. Yeah, relapse is a part of recovery. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be for everybody, but for most, it's a process. And the process is is as as long as you're you're like you relapse, but you know you want to change, and so. I, you know, as long as it doesn't kill you, and that's that's the hard part because when it comes to relapsing kills with a lot of people, yeah, when it comes to relapsing with other stuff like like uh, opiates and fentanyl and heroin and and all those hardcore drugs, like I don't know too many people that have OD'd on on meth. Like I've I've come close on accident before. It didn't kill me, and I don't know if could maybe it could i don't know if you, if if you got hit a toxic level like you know a lot it, it might kill you but i mean i think i've gotten to that point what are your thoughts on that
0: um well i am a real big advocate of harm reduction so that being said i i really believe that that it is a process and i don't i don't think it's helpful to people to say that that relapse is not a part of recovery because um, that just gives the message to the person, you know, oh, while well, you relapse, you don't, you don't want to recover bad enough, just keep going, you know, go back out there. I, re- I really think it is a part of recovery because we're, we're peeling off all these layers that have kept us numb and have kept us, you know, immune from our pain. And, it takes a long time to acquire these new skills, you know, especially if we've never had healthy role models in our lives or been able to see functioning healthy adults before. You know, it's just like starting out as a toddler and and sort of reparenting yourself. And no toddler just, you know, stands up and starts walking and, and then they're they're just running, they fall down and they stand up and they fall down and they stand up and that's how they learn to walk. And I really, I do believe it's the same, same way with addiction that people, you know, sometimes fall down and if they're lucky enough to get a chance to stand back up again, I just really encourage them to not to dwell on that relapse, but to forgive themselves and, and, you know, keep moving forward not all over just because or it doesn't mean that you don't want your recovery bad enough. It, it's not it's not a moral failing. It's it's natural. You know,
1: yeah, yeah. For, for for me, every t- every time that I did, the next time was a lot less of a yeah. time to stop. And I, I found that too, when it came to losing weight, that's a tough one too. You know, when you, when you're eating, uh, sugar all the time or you're eating stuff that isn't good for you, fast food, whatever it is. I mean, I would stumble all the time and it would just get, you know, I would just know I'm like, and and I would feel bad when I'm sitting there, you know, eating a, a, a ham, a burger from Jack in the box or, Whatever it is that I'm doing, you know, eating eating a pint of ice cream because it tastes good, or whatever it is, and and the time in between, uh, me not going to the gym and me staying out there and, and doing that, the the more I fell, the less time in between now that it happens. So it's like I'm more cognizant of what's of it now. So like I uh-huh. only. I'll only slide like 10 pounds now instead of 20 or 30 and then go back if that, if that makes any sense. And I I feel like addiction. So it's all the same.
0: Yeah, it is all the same. It's filling that void, right?
1: What is that void? I mean, what, Like I know growing up, uh, a lot of my stuff, like I was never abused, um, physically. I was never, uh, molested in any way. I, you know, I, sometimes I, I try to figure out what, you know, why did I go down this road not having, you know, some of those seriously traumatic events, uh, happen in my life. I mean, I know my parents were, 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 it wasn't a, it wasn't a healthy relationship and, and. Like I don't know how much of it I saw. I don't think I saw a whole lot of it because I can't remember it. But I mean, I must because I played out a lot of the the things that that were happening in that household when I got older and started and grew up. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I must have seen yeah. something.
0: I think it's. I think some people think because there there wasn't abuse or a big traumatic experience that they can pinpoint. Trauma can also happen from feeling neglected or just feeling ignored or unimportant, that's very traumatic for a a child's development too. So I think that's sometimes the case with people that can't articulate what the actual event was. Maybe it was just that they felt like they were Pushed to the side or there were other things more important. And also, I think there's just so much vicarious trauma in the society that we live in. Like we're just inundated with images of violence and poverty and just, you know, there's just so much chaos in the world. It's just more than, you know, a human should actually be able to to bear. It's overwhelming, right? Because there's nothing an individual person can do to alleviate the world's suffering yet we're always having to bear witness to it. So I really just feel like it it wears on a person's soul, you know, just it's just a lot to be to be human. It's it's hard. <laughs> it's really hard. And and also I do believe that the root of addiction usually is trauma, but also the drugs themselves are so so physiologically addictive that even if you have a perfect you know happy life people can still become addicted just from from doing the drug itself right there doesn't there doesn't and then the trauma will come from the experience of addiction i i found that that was a huge trauma for me just realizing i couldn't stop when i i wanted to stop but i couldn't stop and i was fully aware that i was killing myself and i still couldn't stop that was so traumatic for me <laughs> To, to feel that loss of control. So I think there's just so many reasons and that's why there's so many paths of healing as well, because it's not just one thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So tell me a little bit about your, your holistic uh, healing approach.
0: So I use uh, uh natural healing. So uh, I really help people with their nutritional needs and using different plants and herbs to, to sort of rebuild, um, the nervous system and the and the brain and meditation, I help people with meditation to to really be mindful and to really be present in their body and in their in their life and to really be able to sit with their feelings and not and not have this urge every time they feel. Uh, discomfort, or even joy. People will run away from pleasurable experiences as well because we just live in this world where we're always looking to fix things, right, and change things. So I just really help people to sit with themselves and be with themselves. I take people out in nature and just really help them to ground and to connect in with the natural world around them. And I find that people really start to feel like they belong when they're out in nature and they, they start to calm and they start to uh, notice the little tiny miracles and the beauty of the world instead of um, just always being caught up in, you know, the horror of it all and the rush, rush. So I really, uh, I find that all these things, what I really like to do is find some congruency with with the mental, the physical, and the spiritual. Because I think uh, when it comes to healing addictions, that we really have to incorporate all the realms of a person, and that's the holistic approach. It's great to learn some skills and, and things, but it's also really good to to just be present in your body and to to be able to access all the resources within yourself to invite your own healing. It kind of sounds flaky, but... <laughs> yeah.
1: No, not at all. That's that, that's actually very, very uh, accurate. There was a... Have you ever heard of a guy named Johan Hari?
0: No,
1: I haven't. Okay, he he published a couple of uh, articles about addiction, and he liked to reference the uh, Rat Park studies. Have you heard of those?
0: Yes, and the opposite of addiction is not sobriety; it's connection.
1: It's connection, and it's okay. meaning, and yes. it's meaningfulness, and it's it's finding mm-hmm. meaning in your life or in around you. And it's not about shaming the addict or the individual that's suffering. It's about including them being inclusive being uh uh what's that what's what's the word i'm looking for it's um dang it god damn meth
0: together (laughs) god
1: damn meth (laughs) Um, it'll come to you later (laughs) yeah yeah as i'm sleeping tonight i'll pop up in the middle of it was this (laughs) yeah
0: i'll
1: have to shoot you a text Um,
0: I, I understand what you're saying. I'm picking it up telepathically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah,
1: I mean, it's uh, the the whole way that that at least American society um, deals with the problem is is actually helping to make the problem worse because it doesn't help at all. You know, Whoa. isolating people what? and yeah. and and shaming them and making them feel bad about themselves, all that does is make people want to go out and use more because I would I would use as it as an excuse. Like every time I yeah, would do absolutely. something and, and make somebody or hurt somebody or do something wrong or feel bad, it was just an like a like an auto response, and it was already like a built in excuse and a mechanism for me to go, oh well, might as well go use, might as well go get high. Yeah, you yeah, know? exactly. I feel like shit about myself. I'm a piece of junk. I can't do anything right. Might as well be high.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's such a tragedy that our prisons are full of people who are actually sick and they need they need health care. They need care. They need compassionate care. They don't need to be further traumatized and punished because they're sick. And so what we're doing is just re-traumatizing these sick people and then setting them back out again on the street. And, you know, it's just it's just compounding the problem.
1: Yeah. It's it's it, like, like you said, I mean, the, the problem is so big. Sometimes you start thinking about how, how you can help and how you can fix it. And it, it's so overwhelming. You're like, where do I start?
0: Yeah. But it just starts with one person, right? And it just starts with that one planting that one seed of hope and um, yeah, great things grow from little seeds.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Okay. So what else do we want to talk about here so we got to the holistic stuff we got to your story what all right give me a second here like i said mm-hmm. good thing for editing because all this <laughs> I
0: just can see that. Uh,
1: all, all my stumblings get edited out
0: that's awesome yeah.
1: all the ums go away your, your ums are gonna go too
0: Great.
1: Nobody will recognize me. <laughs> the first time somebody edited one of my one of my interviews that I was on someone else's podcast, I heard it and I'm like, I'm like, oh my god, I sounded amazing. And then I'm like, I can I, I never sounded that way before. And so I had actually recorded it myself, and I went back and listened to my recording, and I'm like, oh, okay, this guy just edited out all my dumb shit. Sweet.
0: I'm
1: like, hey, can you can you come hang out with me all the time and just edit edit? Edit as my, it comes out. Yeah. Edit me as it comes out so I can sound amazing all the time. <laughs> so we're at about 40 minutes. Um, is there uh, anything okay. else that you want to share about what you're doing or, or the, anything that you want to talk about in general?
0: I'd probably like to add that people are welcome to join my free Facebook group, North Star Recovery. And I teach a weekly meditation in there and just some holistic recovery ideas and practices that people can try. Anyone's welcome to join.
1: Oh, that's awesome. So yeah, at the end, we'll, uh, you can plug any, any of your social media that you want to, and then uh, shoot me that in the email. I'll throw that in the show notes, everything, everything that you want to have out there. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Okay. So people can just slide on down there and click and they're at, and there you go. They're right to you. Thank you. So one thing I wanted to wanted to mention real quick is that you know you were talking about all the stuff that we are are, that's coming at us all the time that's 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 traumatic as far as like information, um, media, all of this stuff. And I recently started listening to. Well, actually, I interviewed this guy who's an investigative journalist, and he does he reports on stuff that's not being reported out there. Like mainstream media is not picking up some of these atrocities that are happening across the world, uh, like in Sudan and, and Syria, Africa, all these different places. And like, I've disconnected from mainstream media altogether. Like I don't watch the news anymore. I don't watch, I don't listen to anything that's, uh, like in my mind is poisonous because I mean, not only do we have to watch what we put into our bodies, we have to watch what we what we bring into our ears, what we listen to, because that has a, a, a absolutely a, that has a, a a very profound impact on how we think. There's too many things out there today that are vying for our attention and
0: mm-hmm. and polluting our souls.
1: Yeah, correct, and and keeping us from 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 vibrating at at the. Uh, What I don't even know how to, I know what it means, but I don't know how to say it.
0: A higher frequency? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that that keeps us
1: from vibrating at that higher frequency that we need to be, because, I mean, at the end of the day, we're all connected. We're connected to everything around us. And I think that's why when we go to nature and we spend time away from our devices and, you know, just put all that down, the feeling that you get and I do this once a year and I'm about to leave again uh, for four days and do that and do that exact same thing. Or I just bring my dog and, and me and my dad go up to the mountains like so far up the world you can only get there with a four wheel drive. So there's not a whole lot of people up there. And wow, good you. yeah, and just disconnect from everything reset, you know, figure out. Yep what the problems are, what do I'm, what am I still facing? What do I need to change? You know, where am I? It's almost like a halftime reset, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and you, and you just uh, reestablish that connection with, with your higher power of w- whatever that higher power is to you. But I think when you're free of distraction, you can really open the channel and receive, you know, these inspirations ideas that you, you can't get when you're being inundated by, by everything. <laughs>
1: and and where i was going with the uh with the investigative journalist cuz i kind of i went there and then i skipped oh, yeah. over into somewhere else <laughs> i do that quite a bit too just saying so yeah i you know i've i've been listening to his podcast and i mean some of these some of these stories like i work in construction and it's crazy um like I'll be just sitting there listening to it in my earphones and all of a sudden I'll just like tears will start streaming down my face because, you know, the story is just so, so horrific. And and then I just start thinking, it's like, God, man, how, do, how can people be so cruel? you know, to, to just like in third world countries, it's like people just, they have no value for life whatsoever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It even happens in, in our country. I recently spent time on downtown East side in Vancouver here um, in BC and it, an area of of the city that's just inundated with homeless people and addiction, and it's just it's so disturbing to me that I live in a so called free country as Canada, and we're allowing our people to just die in the street without housing, without medical care, without even bathrooms or running water like it if it, it's Canada, man. <laughs> like where's the value for human life these are all somebody's you know children and mothers and fathers and and we're just because they're drug addicts they're just left to to die in filth and it's so heartbreaking it's just so heartbreaking
1: yeah we have we have a huge problem with that down here too and i i tried to reach out there's a there's a guy who i pass every day and he lives at the bus stop and i tried to to reach out to him and and you know get him to to tell tell me his story, but they just, sometimes they just don't, I don't know what it is. They just don't, they don't want the help or they don't, they think it's something else. I don't know. I don't know what it was. And so I just sort of like, all right, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna force you, you know, but if you, if you ever want to tell your story, because I think that, so my, my, my thing with the homeless problem is, is I think that there is a, there's different, different levels. And when we here in, in California, when, when I think of a homeless person before now, I would just think of the ones that I would see in San Francisco that were, you know, obviously had mental health issues or yelling at paper, paper machine or, you know, uh, newspaper machines or yelling at, at other inanimate objects in the street, people, whatever it is. And that's, and that's what we see. And that's what most people see. And I think the majority of the homeless people that are out there are the ones that you don't see and those are the yeah. the people that just you know they they were one one uh catastrophe or one uh financial financial thing away from from homelessness and that one thing happened let's say you know i i don't know man i just there's there's a huge problem and I just don't, I don't know how to, how to tackle it. And I do want to try and tackle it because I do have a platform. And I think that it, the, the more that we put a face on homelessness and, and this issue, mm-hmm. that it's not just crazy people. It's mm-hmm. not just drug addicts. I mean, it's everyday people like me and you that could just, you know, have one, you know, let's just say our, our car blew up. And now we, that was our only form of transportation. We don't have any family to help us. We don't have anything. It was just, it was just us and that car was everything. And now I don't have it. And that was the last straw that, 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 that made you homeless.
0: Yeah. Or you see, you see moms and children out on the street because it was either that or, or live with a violent partner. Right. So Cause there's no place for them to go. So they either have to live with the abuse or live on the street and no person should have to choose that. Right.
1: Yeah. That's just sh- not right. No, that's a shitty fuck. That's a shitty uh, choice. You know what I mean? Those, what, what choices are those? Those aren't good choices. No, you know, no, it's sad. And, you know, being a guy that, that, you know, was abusive, um, not physically, but, you know, verbally and mentally, and 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 all of those things. You know, I just, you know, I I've taken a lot in my life, and I, this is my way of of giving back and trying to make make up for all of the you know things that I've done and things that I've put other people through and, and relationships and and you you know what it's like the 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 wake that you leave behind you and and with the destructive behavior and everything that's associated with addiction and that. That life.
0: Yes, absolutely. Just the, the process of facing that, the wreckage you left and trying to make amends is, is enough to send a person into relapse. Like it's a lot, right? To to face yourself and, and what you've done, not just to yourself but to other people who love you. It's it's a lot to, to face up to, but it's so incredibly important for our healing and for for our loved ones too. So I really commend you for that. I really commend you for owning, owning that and for for wanting to make that right.
1: (laughs) No, no. Thank you for, for, you know, being somebody who is willing to tell your truth and, and Mm -hmm. and, and I'm able to, to feel through you, some of the things that I've done that weren't right and you know it's it's and and the fact that we're able to communicate to each other and and put that out there and still have respect for one another knowing that you know I could have been that that guy that was that way Mm -hmm. to you you know
0: Mm mm-hmm yeah, and, you know, that was a real a big step in my healing, too, was to, to find forgiveness for for my partner and to also own my part in it. That was a really big, um, felt like I was growing up <laughs> when I was able to say, you know, yes, I was abused and I forgive you for abusing me, but can I forgive myself for putting myself in that situation? And what was it in me that that felt like, that was all I was worthy of, you know? So, so really um, I think forgiving myself was even harder than, than forgiving him, but, but it was really, I really needed to do that for my healing.
1: Well, that's awesome, man. I I, I really appreciate you coming on and and being as honest and open as you have been. I got two more questions for you and then we'll wrap this up. Okay. One is one, one book that you would recommend uh, for anybody that's helped you change your life. I know that's oh a tough one. My I know. attention
0: span is like a mosquito.
1: <laughs> it could be an e-book, too, or an audio book.
0: Well, you know, I, I really love the big book. <laughs> Hate to be so, you know, ordinary. The, but, the Bible you know, or I the N.A.? the big book, hey?
1: The, the Bible or N.A.? Big book.
0: N.A. The N.A. Big book. Because it came in like short, it comes in short little stories, Right. Oh, you know what? I like that book One Day at a Time. Uh, That's that's my favorite. It just gives me a real sort of morning focus, and it's nice and short, and uh, it's really good to start my day with that uh, sort of meditation and and that idea that I'm carrying throughout the day. I I would really recommend that to people. Keep it simple. I remember
1: those books. (laughs) Yeah. I used to have to to start every day with those in in groups, you know, one of the 18 institutions that I was in. (laughs)
0: That's funny. I think, and my first big book, I actually stole from a tree center. <laughs> <laughs> I should probably give it back. <laughs> that's funny yeah.
1: all right next next one uh has to do a podcast i don't know are you a are you a podcast consumer do you listen to them much or are you just starting to get into it
0: i've just started getting into it actually i really like your podcast and and uh what you're doing here so i'll, I'll be a regular listener
1: <laughs> well i appreciate yeah. that and thank you
0: you're welcome thank you
1: all right. Well, I think uh, that just about does it. So, I mean, if you want to plug any of your social media or anything else, if you want to replug that uh, uh, that group again, uh, one more time wouldn't hurt. Okay.
0: You want me just to say it now, or you mean yeah. an
1: email? No, no, you can say it now too. Like, if you got an Instagram okay, yeah. or anything, any, any kind of social media that you want to plug, or anything that you want uh, to put out there where people could can get a hold of you, if you know this resonates with them. Um, you know, your coaching business, uh, you know, get get a plug out there for that. You know, if anybody's interested in, in learning more about holistic, uh, healing.
0: Okay. Um, I don't, I'm so technologically, uh, challenged that I don't have an Instagram. I might be the only person I know that doesn't, but people are welcome to join my free Facebook group. It's called North Star Recovery and I teach, uh, meditation, um, in there once a week and, different teachings about holistic recovery um, that people might want to want to try. And I do holistic recovery coaching one-on-one. I work individually with people who are in recovery or who are seeking to find joy again in their recovery, where the recovery has just kind of become joyless and work or, or just, uh, I don't know what the word is blank there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) shit! I wrecked the plug.
1: (laughs) Uh, That's okay. Looks like we're suffering from the same thing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'll shoot you an email too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, so listeners out there, you you can find all of uh, uh, the places where you can find Satya on uh, on the show notes, and uh, with that, we're done. And I'd like to thank you so much. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're welcome, man. Thank you. This was It was a wonderful uh, conversation, and hopefully we can have another one at some point down the road.
0: Sounds great. Thank you.
1: All right, Satya. Have a good night.
0: Okay, take care, Sean. Bye. Right, bye.
1: Thank you for listening to the show, and thank you to Satya. Man, that was a great story. Horrible circumstances, but, man, the, the, how you managed to navigate your life from where you were, it's amazing. You know, that methamphetamine is some wicked shit. You know, the fact that, you know, it literally took her three months from starting to losing everything should go to show you that, you know, this is a powerful drug. And I don't know what the statistics are, but I know actually from personal experience that it seems to affect women way harder than it does men. Like from everything from, you know, the physical... Deterioration to just how hard you fall. I mean, especially when I was doing it, you know, in that whole running around in that whole lifestyle, it really seemed like it it affected the women way harder than it did the men. And I don't know, maybe maybe that's just me. Like I said, I don't I don't have statistics on this. This isn't uh, anything that's you know published or that I read. This is just personal opinion from having lived lived it and lived in that lifestyle for a lot of years, you know. And what should have, you know, destroyed my teeth, should have done a whole lot of other damage to me Uh, for the time that I used it, it didn't. So I'm one of the lucky ones. So if you want to get in touch with Satya, she's got that Facebook group, uh, North Star Recovery. It's open to everybody who's, you know, interested in... Uh, the holistic approach to recovery. So, if that sounds like something that you want to do, why don't you head on over there and uh, hit her up? And if you want to get a hold of me at Nowhere to Go But Up Now on Instagram, go to my bio, hit the link tree. Anywhere you want to find me, I'll be right there. If you want to email me, nowhere to go but up now at gmail.com. If you have a story, if you have a bottom that you want to share, those are the places that you can go to contact me, and I'll put you on the show. Also, like I said in the intro, if you know somebody who may benefit from listening to this show or one of the past episodes on addiction or divorce, mental health issues, send them over. Word of mouth is always the uh, best kind of promotion that anybody can get. Also, don't forget to uh, rate and review if you feel so inclined and and moved to do so. I could always use it. It always helps uh, boost my ratings in in itunes or any of the other podcast platforms that uh i'm i'm on out there so the next episode will be episode 20 and I'll be talking to Corey Peterson, who is a licensed psychotherapist, and we'll be talking about self-sabotage. And I chose that topic because it's something that in the past I have done quite a bit of. You know, when things are going good, you know, when, you're, when you grow up in chaos, when things are going good for myself, I tend to self-sabotage and create chaos uh, to replicate what I'm used to. It's funny, uh, I I tend to do better in situations where I don't necessarily know that I do better, but it, it seems that when I'm under the gun and I have no other choice and I'm down to the wire, that's when I get the best results or I have gotten some of the best results in, in my life and, and things that I've been trying to do. But with that being said, it's definitely not the best way to approach things so nowadays i tend to take a more organized approach to things and try to get a more organized way of doing stuff and so i'm not flying by the seat of my pants all the time not sure if that makes sense it makes sense in my head anyways so that's all i got for this episode until next time keep it 100 stay true to yourself everything else is just noise